On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win my 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! They didn't look into your heart, they didn't look into my heart! The Boston Red Sox are world champions! This is On The Block. Here is your host, Brent Axe. ESPN Radio, Utica Road. Hey, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board as always. You can listen online. Oh, they do have the internet on computers now. It's a beautiful thing. ESPNSyracuse.com, or you can listen via the ESPN app. That is a great way to stay in touch, to take us with you wherever you go. And that's a simple thing to do. Just download the app, find the Listen tab. Punch in ESPN Syracuse, and away you go. Wherever you go, we go with you, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. 437-7644. That's the phone number, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line, 288-0644. We've got a bunch to come your way today. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to being here on the heels of the Daniel Baldwin Show. Did you listen to the Daniel Baldwin Show? You should be. It's on weekdays, 3 to 4, right before this little production. I learned about sports seduction during the Daniel Baldwin show today. That's hot. Sure was. Fantastic stuff. So uh, if you missed that show or in the booth with Matt Park or Orange Nation, hit us on iTunes. Just get in iTunes, punch in ESPN Syracuse, hit that subscribe button, and then to your iPhone or iPad or wherever you listen to your iTunes, you get the podcast version of all of our shows. That's a beautiful thing. Mike McAllister is going to join us later in the show. That's a beautiful thing. Our friend from CuseNation.com. All the latest on football, all the latest on Cruton, all the latest with basketball starting up Friday night, as we'll discuss here, certainly. Last exhibition game in the books. It's for reals starting Friday. Very appropriate that today brought us our first snowfall of the season in central New York. As I was snowed on walking out of the voting booth, Hope uh, you have voted or will be voting today. Happy Election Day, everybody. Yay, democracy. There you go. So it just feels appropriate, right? Did you see the forecast for this upcoming Friday and Saturday, by the way? Just just go uh, just go take a look at that. It just, like, as soon as Syracuse basketball settles in, cold, snow, getting dark at 5 o'clock, big think pieces on Jim Beheim circulating, the media world today. We'll uh, mention a couple of those if you missed that today. We'll talk to Mike McAllister about all that today. We'll hit some hot takes, as we usually do. We'll hit some Syracuse football. We got a lot to do between here and 6 o'clock. So uh, kick back, relax, make yourself part of it at 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288 This is Jim Beheim. 
This is what he saw last night in final exhibition play for the Orange. We just didn't make hustle plays. We didn't rebound. And when that happens and you're not working at this game, it doesn't matter who you're playing. There's a lot of work to be done, and uh, and we just got to keep plugging it out. First half for Syracuse. Yeah. Not so good. Down 29-24. Did come out a lot stronger in the second half. Won the game 84 to 59. So what were some of the big differences between half one and half two? Well, nothing really. We just got our offense going. They scored same number of points. I mean, we just, we gave them two threes. We didn't get to the corner. We've been working on that really hard. Barama gets there better than Pascal does. He's got to get better at that. Um, But it was about the same defensively, really. Um, Our offense was just better in the second half. That's it's energy, it's ball movement, it's uh, you got to move out there. You know, it gets better in the second half um, than it is certainly in the first half, but you know, we've, we've got to get better earlier. We've got to get better movement earlier, and that's something we got to do a better job of. It's interesting uh, the contrast there because the Syracuse football team is struggling to, you know, get its footing in the first half as well, finds itself in the second half, and you know, I want to pull it up here because I think that uh, Merrick Dolzhai, that's now, I believe, the fifth official pronunciation of his last name that we've had on this show, but I'm pretty sure it's that, right? Dolzhai. Donna DeTota wrote a great piece today, as she always does, but he had a comment in uh, her uh, article today, recapping last night's game, and I just want to pull it up here while we're yakking about it, that was a nice, honest assessment of last night's game and how things are flowing for this team. And, boy, it is so early. They have not even played a game that matters yet, right? So no one's making any sweeping conclusions. I think we're going to have to be a little more patient with this team than usual, giving all the new faces that are out there, giving everything they've got to get used to, giving... You know, half-court offense needs... I mean, every team at this point of the season needs a lot of work, right? But Syracuse in particular needs a lot of work on a lot of different things, right? So I believe... Just bear with me for a second here. Here it is. This is Merrick Dolzhai. Quote, we were just frustrated. The first half, we took a lot of threes. We didn't penetrate. We didn't get a free shot. We missed a lot of threes. We were so bad. And as Donna writes here, Syracuse has been, quote, so bad in the first halves of both exhibition games. In those 40 minutes, Syracuse 18 of 65, which is 29% from the field, 3 of 23 from the three-point line, 13%, and has committed 23 turnovers. Both of those games were against Division II opponents. Now, the Orange roared back each time to win. Monday, outscoring Southern Connecticut State 60-30 to in the second half and beating the Owls 84-59. to we played back the clip from Beheim. Here's a couple more from Jim Beheim on last night, including on what, if any, improvements he has seen in exhibition play. You know, we, we've got so many things to get better at. It's, uh, it's hard to really put a finger on it. We've got a lot of work to do. What about those early struggles and how the Orange overcame them? Effort was the main mistake. That's one you can't make. And, you know, we just two or three offensive fouls couple bad turnovers. Howard made one. Uh, Gino made one. You know, just, you know, bad turnovers. 
two-on-one situations, making a turnover and turn the ball over. Frank turned it over a couple of times when he's open to drive. Just things that, you know, we have to get corrected. One of the big questions I have, and I think a lot of people have, is who's that number two guy on this team? It's like the Austin Powers movies, right? Number two. Who's number two? Because we know who number one is. We know who teams are going to focus on. We know who the primary scorer on this team. And that, of course, is Ty's battle. Frank Howard is the backcourt mate that needs to be the yin to his yang, the robin to his batman, the peanut butter to his jelly, or is it the other way around? Is jelly number two to peanut butter? I'll let you decide. They're both delicious in a sandwich. But as Donna writes here, I want to go back to Donna's piece from last night. The junior point guard admits he's still figuring out the perfect balance of playmaking and scoring. Said Monday, he feels no pressure to score, but with a roster of unknown scoring commodities, his 19 points look good on the orange stat sheet on Monday. Howard shot 6 of 8 overall, made both of his three-point shots. He had three assists and three turnovers as well. As Donna notes here, he and Battle, he acknowledged, need to imprint themselves more on the basketball action in the first halves of these games. They need to announce their presence with their play. There were too many times Monday when guards dribbled, 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 and then passed to someone else who dribbled, 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 until someone else launched a contested jump shot. So, that's where patience comes in. These guys got to find themselves a little bit, particularly in half-court play. Because it's a whole lot of new faces trying to get used to each other here. But it's Frank Howard who's got to be that number two. I think eventually O'Shea Brissett becomes the number two offensive option. You can just see it. He can get to the basket. He can shoot. But he's raw. He's got to learn the college game. There's a lot there that certainly, you know, Jim Beheim will have to Sort through patiently, right, with a lot of young players. But Donna makes a great point there, and it's something that you can even say here on November 7th with exhibition play behind us and not a real minute of basketball played yet. The one thing you can't do when you're a team that's trying to find itself is you can't lag in energy. At the very least, you've got to go at it for 40 minutes. Your main players have to take command when they can. There's going to be games when they won't, and certainly opposing defenses, once you get to the better teams that can control this, are going to focus in on Tyus Battle. They're going to focus in even on Frank Howard. So those young players and new players, for that matter, while they're getting used to things, you can look at it one of two ways. Either they're getting used to it, or there's going to be opportunities to step up early. Because before you know it, you're going to start playing some non-conference games that matter that you have to win because, as we all learned last year, non-conference play sunk Syracuse's battleship when it came to being on that line, being on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Once they got there, it was just too far removed from having any non-conference wins of note. They set themselves up just too much pressure in conference play. Frank Howard is central to that. He's certainly going to have a little more leverage this year. I think he's going to have a little more patience from the head coach. I think he has taken on, from what I've heard and what I've seen, and, and just you can kind of sense an improvement in his game. You can see an improvement in his game. But what you can sense is he he knows he's got to take command a little bit. He knows he's got to lead back there. Seeing Geno Thorpe on the court last night was encouraging, though. That ankle situation is not quite corrected 100%, and those things can nag a basketball player, but when he gets fully healthy, can certainly help this team, as Jim Beheim noted last night. you got to wait until he gets healthy, until he gets some more game practice in. He's a pretty good shooter. He's he's good with the ball. He had, he had four assists tonight. Um, 
he doesn't have his explosiveness, and he needs that. And uh, but he's he's he needs it. Probably takes some time. He's that third option, and what Howard Washington can do would be a pleasant surprise for this team. But to put so much expectations on so many younger and or unknown players, I think would be unfair at this point. But you do have to have somebody emerge and point to and say, you're the guy. Geno Thorpe, at least, is a little more of a veteran, and once he kind of figures things out and that ankle gets healthy, that is going to be a true, I don't think blessing in disguise is the right term, but it's going to be important for Syracuse. He's the most veteran player on this team. It's such a young team that senior day is basically him this year, and you know he's a transfer that's on borrowed time as it is. So no one's making any sweeping conclusions yet, but a few things that even you saw in exhibition play. Tyus Battle and Frank Howard have to take command. There's opportunity for someone to step up to be that third option. I'm still kind of wondering where the offense is going to come from down low, though Pascal Chukwu and Barama Sadaibi look terrific. Did you see uh, Barama got the number two play on SportsCenter's top ten last night with a great block shot? You would expect that against Southern Connecticut State and teams in exhibition play and even against Cornell coming up on Friday. You're just bigger, stronger, and faster than those teams, but it's a good thing that they're building their confidence, and as Jim Beheim has noted, with the press, you got to have a shot blocker back there for all the fans that have called for more press and more man-to-man, and you've got to do it when the situation allows. You need a shot blocker back there to facilitate. Yeah, we couldn't score, so we might as well try to get a turnover and see if we can get something that way. That would help, but, uh, you know, we've been working on it. We've spent a lot of time on our press. The difference this year and last year is we have a shot blocker. That's the only difference. We would have probably pressed a little bit more last year if we had a shot blocker. But you, when you don't have a shot blocker back there, you, it's just think of all those plays that either stopped or we got a block or they missed a shot. And we didn't have that last year. That's why we only pressed when we really were desperate. And so I think we can press a little bit more this year. I think we're a little bit better defensively with our pressure in the other positions. I think we're more mobile there. Um, and we're, we're, we're forcing, so this is a pretty good ball handling team and they have all guards out there. And you know, we did a decent job of making it difficult for them. Jim Beheim, of course, last night on Pascal and Barama and what's happening on the defensive front. Now I want to take a break, but come back with a little bit more. This is more of a broad picture thing, something that Jim Beheim said last night in his post-game press conference about transfers and some new rules that could be put into place in college basketball. And a little later in the show, now we don't have time to read this whole thing for you, but I can tell you to read it. I'm always interested about national perspectives on Bayheim, And I think someone wrote a piece today, Mark Titus on The Ringer. The Ringer, if you're not familiar, is Bill Simmons' website. He wrote a very long piece, I will warn you. It's about 3,300 words, so you need some time to, you know, absorb it. But he wrote one of the more thought-provoking, I would say, outside of the orange bubble, Jim Beheim pieces, if that makes sense. You know, I'm always interested with national voices, people that are not within the circle of either being a fan, an alum, or somebody that covers the team day-to-day, kind of parachutes in and writes something about Beheim. I didn't agree with all of it, but I appreciated the way it was written. It was thought-provoking. It was well-researched. It brought up some uncomfortable points for Syracuse fans. But again, that's why you need a national voice to do this, because we're just too close to it. And you need people to give you perspective sometimes that are 
you know, beyond your comfort zone. And I want to discuss that piece a little bit later in the show. So go read that now while you're listening to us, theringer.com. I'll tweet it out to Brent Tax Media. If you, I did earlier, but I'll tweet it out again if you haven't seen it. So a lot of hoops, not only this team, but kind of broadly, and some college basketball to get into. Not only what Jim Beheim said about transfer rules, but did you see what happened at Georgia Tech today? That's an interesting situation, which we will discuss next. Don't go anywhere. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. It's presented by Bernie Toyota. Great to have you here. Got a lot of things happening here the next couple of days. Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack will join us tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to John telling me they're doing their due diligence on the Carrier Dome. One of these days, going to get a different answer to that question. Uh, Dino Babers, head coach of the Orange, will join us on Thursday for his usual spot during the football season. Thanks, Brent. And starting this Thursday, Jim Beheim, head coach of the Orange, will join us for his weekly chat here on the block. Speaking of Jim Beheim, over 42 years as a head coach, uh, he has had a lot written, said, and everything in between about him. I haven't read every one of those words, but I like to think I've read most of it as kind of a Bayheim historian and somebody who's covered him for a long time and has been asked to talk about him a lot. And what I always say about Jim Bayheim and the great thing about being in the position I'm in and the lucky position I'm in to cover him in the media is you still don't know what you're going to get. When he walks up to that podium after a game, when he chats with me on the radio, whatever the setting may be, you would think after 42 years and depending how long you have followed him as a fan, you would kind of know what the deal is. And the answer to that is you have no idea. He keeps you on your toes. There's certain patterns about him, certain things he does that, you know, we know and we know and love because we follow him every day. But I'm always curious when people kind of parachute in from the outside and in this case, it's an article, write things about Bayheim, And I think people have their guards up about this because at the end of the day, as, you know, cranky as Jim can be, as direct as he can be, as opinionated as he can be, he endears himself to central New Yorkers because he's one of us. He grew up in Lyons, New York. He came to Syracuse. He never left. And Jim Bayheim, at the end of the day, will go to bat for Syracuse in central New York more than anybody. You know, that famous story is lying on the beach with Rick Pitino and his wife, and they're talking about the greatest places in the world, and they're saying Paris and all these places, and Bayhem's like, it's Syracuse. Six months of the year, best weather you could get. The other six months, it's basketball season, right? So if we have a conflicted relationship with Bayheim at times, and I mean all of us, but you know he'll go to bat for the most important things. And there was a amazing piece today that Mark Titus wrote on the ringer.com. If you're not familiar with the ringer, it's Bill Simmons website, which you should be reading and following and amazing stuff on that site. I and mean, I'm a huge Simmons fan, but he's got a lot of very talented writers. And I'll say, if you're a podcast fan, the ringer podcast network, not just Simmons podcast, but some of the others they have are some of the best in the business. So a little plug for them. So think of all the thousands and really we're in the millions of words that have been said, written and documented about Jim Beheim. Through the years. And what I'm about to read to you, I think, really encapsulates it as well as anything I've ever read. 
So a story time with Uncle Brent here briefly, but here's how it goes. Let me just pull it up here so we can bring it to you. Okay. I don't mean to suggest that Bayheim should be absolved of blame for anything stemming from his cantankerous attitude. It's not like he should get a free pass to do whatever he wants just because his dad was a word I can't say on the radio. I'm just trying to provide context. Bayheim doesn't fit the part of a legendary college basketball coach because he never fit that part. He's always been a cranky, regular dude who's lived his entire life within a 200-mile radius and has tried to make the most of the opportunities that were given to him. That's a reality to which many of us can relate. There are tons of head coaches who go to great lengths to pretend that they have it all figured out. Bayheim has never bothered with that charade. While that's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, I find it pretty damn refreshing. Titus goes on to write this. This is why Syracuse fans revere the man so much. It's not that they don't see what the rest of us see. They know that Bayheim is petty and insecure and sometimes keeps it a little too real. They know that he's probably not as good as a coach as Krzyzewski or Wooden. They know that he has a short fuse, that he schedules cupcake opponents in November. I disagree with that, but that's the perception. And that he relies on a 2-3 zone that can feel gimmicky at times. But he's one of them, and not in a manufactured, you coach my team, so therefore I like you type of way. He's truly, genuinely one of them. He was born and raised in central New York. He went to school there. He made a name for himself there, and he will die there. That kind of thing holds water everywhere but especially in places like Syracuse. And he goes on to write this. There's something in all of us that makes us proud of where we're from, and Bayheim, or more accurately, the basketball program that he built, provides a tremendous source of pride for locals and students alike. He's not just a native son. He personifies the chip-on-the-shoulder attitude that many Central New Yorkers have and all the insecurities that come with it. And most important of all, he stayed. He could have used Syracuse as a launching pad to boost his stock before leaving for greener pastures, like Danforth tried to do, Roy Danforth. But Bayheim remained true to his roots and treated his job like it was the most coveted in the sport, and in doing so, validated the entire community. It makes sense, then, that Syracuse fans can seem so irrational when talking about their team and their coach. That is as well as anybody has put it in two paragraphs. And this story is a lot longer than this. And when this you know, first started floating out there on social media, it did get the typical response from Syracuse fans, particularly that last sentence. Let me read it again. It makes sense, then, that Syracuse fans can seem so irrational when talking about their team and their coach. This is a really good piece. If you take a step back and look at it objectively, it is as well-researched a piece from a national voice I have ever read. It's really good. And that, you know, how irrational we can be steps in because some Syracuse fans read it and they see it as a hit piece and they're bringing up some typical cliches about Bayheim, And it's like, no, what he's doing in bringing up those things is he's complimenting the fact that Bayheim doesn't give a damn and never has and has his own way. And what Titus points out about the insecurities we have think about this we can complain that it snowed today we can complain about our taxes and who we voted for today and the basketball team and the bad meal that i got at some restaurant this time or who's got the best pizza in central new york all the things that we argue about but when someone beyond our borders talks about that stuff what do you do 
you get on the defensive. I can talk bad about my town. The minute you do, we're going to go. Think of all the people that say things about Jim Beheim and just the regular course of day-in, day-out stuff that we do, particularly now that we're getting into basketball season. And how many of you complain about substitutions and 2-3 zone versus man-to-man and things that happen? The minute somebody else does, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Who are you, buddy? Some of the same things that you complain about and you discuss about Beheim are fine, but when someone else does it, you get on the defensive. That's exactly Mark's point, and that's what endears him to us. That's why, really, for all the faults and for some of the complaints and some of the things you may not like, he's one of us. It is one of the most unique things you'll ever find, and I think if and when Jim does step down and as time passes, we're just never going to see this again. You know, Mike Krzyzewski is not from Durham. He ended up there. He made himself as part of that community as anybody could, but he's not from there. How many coaches around the country, college basketball or otherwise, have been embedded in the place they've coached, not only for the length of time, but the way they've done it and built it up? It is such a unique thing. That's just two paragraphs worth. There's some criticisms in there. There's some things that I rolled my eyes on, trust me. The non-conference schedule thing, that's that's a myth now. Look at Syracuse's non-conference schedule. Now it's as tough as anybody's, and it needs to be because of how things have adjusted in college basketball. The, the selection committee has made that abundantly clear. So I saw some of the criticisms out there, and I'm just like, guys, that was the point of the article. That, well, who is this outsider saying things about old Jimmy? How dare you? So I am, you know, look, If you read it and you don't agree with it, that's fine. But Mark wrote as well-researched, opinionated, to the point, just hitting, thought-provoking article. I've read about Bayheim in a long time. And sometimes we need that outside perspective. We're too close to it. And we need the people that are close to it, the people like Mike Waters and Donna DeToda and the reporters that have been around here for a long time and, and deal with Jim day in and day out. They're the ones that, you know, deserve the most credit. And Mike wrote a great piece today, by the way, about Bayheim and some great quotes from Jim about he's going to coach as long as he feels he can do it and you're good at a job. And, you know, that insecurity that comes with Bayheim, Jim mentions it in, in Mike's piece about fear and, and why he coaches and all the former coaches he's talked to. And I think you can get a sense who some of them are. He mentioned Dean Smith by name, but, you know, he's friends with Jim Calhoun and some of these guys that have made it abundantly clear, Gary Williams, that they stepped away too soon. And Jim has looked at all them and said, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to coach as long as I can. And now that Buddy is coming next year, I mean, you think he's going to step down before that? You're out of your mind. And that's just the way we want it. The one thing, other than snow and certain staples that come up in conversations, we've been able to set our watch by for years, is James Arthur Beheim, And we're going to keep doing that as long as we can. Read Mark's piece, ringer.com, theringer.com. It's excellent. It's going to bring out a lot of emotions in you. It's going to piss off some of you, I'm telling you, but give it the time. We'll break on that note. Come back. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.